Acts 11 and verse 19. It said, now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except for the Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And as we open it today, I thank you that you encourage us from it. Holy Spirit, uh, that you minister to us as each one has a need. I thank you that we're listening. Our ear is inclined uh, to what you would say and our hearts are open uh, to your direction, that we're united in your presence, uh, spirit, soul and body right here uh, in front of you this morning. Uh, as we gather together as your body, I thank you that you minister to us. You love your body and you take care of it. You nourish it just like we care for and nourish our own. But Lord, so much better and so much more. And, and I thank you that we receive that in you today in Jesus name. Amen. So we've been in, in this little uh, interim period between our last series on Hebrews and our next, uh, which will be a book of the Bible coming up uh, here in a few weeks. Um, set that pretty soon as the Lord wills. Um, talking about the church, uh, the Lord just put on my heart to, to talk about the church, the body of Christ, and the value of it to us. Uh, the value that we find in it. And one of the verses for that was 1 Corinthians 12 and 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members in it. We saw how he uses this analogy of a human body. Um, to better understand the body of Christ, that we are a, a body made up of many parts, many gifts. We're diverse, but yet unified, just like your physical body is and, and accomplishes so much in that diverse unity. And then last week in Ephesians chapter four, uh, looking at how it compared marriage to Christ and the church, teaching us how Christ sees the church, that he loves the church, looks at her as a bride, uh, gave himself for her to make her holy and to present her in splendor to himself without spot or wrinkle. That means without fault or without it's, it's an ageless thing. It's an eternal thing. It's not going to grow old and get those wrinkles under its eyes like I'm starting to get. Some of you say starting. Uh, yes, yeah, starting. Uh, you know, it looks pretty good. You're doing pretty good. Got a good start on it. Anyway, he provides for the church and nourishes the church just like one does for their own body because it's who, who hates their own body. Everybody loves their own body and takes care of it to the best of their ability. That's Christ and the church. And it said there, talked about how in the beginning, 
you know, it was uh, a man would leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two would become one flesh. And he said, this is, I'm speaking a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And if you want to get into more of that, we, we did some really breakdown and teaching on that um, last week. That's on, that's online. You can listen to it. I'm not going to recover it any more than that. And, and that's what he thinks about the church. That's how he sees it. And, and this week, what, what struck me, and I was like, Lord, why didn't we do this backwards? I feel like this might have fit better last week. And it didn't matter what I think. Uh, but that's what Jesus thinks about the church. But there's something else that's very important is, is how do you see the church? I was reminded of this. He, he just kept bringing this up to me. He said, you, you, can, you can show them all this. But the most important thing about how they're going to interact with the church is what do they see? What do they think of? What do you think of when you think about the church? One of my favorite quotes, just because it's a, it, it seems like a principle that's true in this life. It was from a man named A.W. Tozer. Uh, he said, the most important thing about you is what you think of when you think about God. That's the most important thing about you is what you think of when you think about God. And I said, well, that makes sense because that affects everything that I do and how I live and my attitude from there on. If I've got a wrong idea or understanding of God and that's what comes to my mind when I think about him, it's going to pull me this way. But if it's being opened by the scripture and, and, and directed rightly by the Holy Spirit, then that's going to lead me this way. So the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. And then this, this question being like it, what do you think about when you think about his church? When you think about the church, because I can't answer that for you. I can tell you what I think the answer is and should be, but that's important when it comes to how you walk with the body of Christ is what do you think about when you think about the church? How do you see it? And where does that sight, where does that idea of the church in your mind, in your heart, where does that come from? That's something that we need to, you need to, because you're the only one that can look over into, investigate that a little bit. How am I seeing it? And where does that sight come from? For several weeks, again, we were in Hebrews 11 and we talked about Faith and, and what faith is. Faith isn't just believing in God. Faith is believing God. And then also one of the definitions that I use is it, faith is seeing the way that God sees. Whatever it is, whether it's a situation, whether it's a person, faith in that situation is seeing the way that God sees it. And it said there in Hebrews 11 uh, that we are not like those without faith that draw back and are destroyed. Draw back to what? To those old ways of thinking, to the fleshly carnal ways of thinking. We're like those that have faith and are saved. That the just and the righteous live by faith. That that's how we're saved. That's how we're delivered. And that's how we are preserved. So what is it that you see when you look at the church? Because that's going to affect everything about how you interact with it. That's going to affect everything about what you receive from it. And it, I was reminded, thinking on this, what it says in Jeremiah 1, the, the Lord came to Jeremiah and he said, Jeremiah, what do you see? 
And Jeremiah said, well, I see uh, the branch of an almond tree. And you know what the Lord said? He said, you've seen correctly. Which tells me that what? He could have seen incorrectly. (laughs) There's an opportunity there for something to be laid before us that we can see it correctly or we can see it incorrectly. He said, son of man, what do you see? And he told him, this is what I see. And he said, you see, you, you saw it rightly. You saw it well. So again, and this isn't something you're going to get answered for you in here today. Probably I would love it if you would go home and think on this. What do I think about when I think about the church? What is framed up in my mind regarding his church? Is it a building? Is it a preacher behind a pulpit? Is it graham crackers and juice boxes in the nursery or when you were a kid in Kistra? That's what I think of or what Teddy Grahams maybe it was for you. I don't know. Hugs and goldfish now is what it is. Do you you see the gathering of the believers, the gathering of the church? Do you see it as an obligation? Something that, well, this is something that I have to do so that I don't turn out, turn out bad. This is something that I, that I must do so that I, so that I won't be seen, seen as bad. What do you think of? What comes to your mind? That's a place where I have to go or else they, they, everybody texts me and tell me they miss me. Is it a place where all the goody two-shoes go to feel good about themselves? And I don't really fit in. I don't feel like I'm accepted there because I'm like this and I see them as like this. And that's what I see. People that are above me that I, that I don't reach and they make me feel bad about myself. What is it that you see? What are you seeing? Because it's important. What are you seeing and how is it that you're seeing it? Are you seeing it through the eyes of the flesh, your experiences? Are you seeing it by faith? Are you seeing the body of Christ, the family of faith? Do you see the value of it? The value of it for you and for others. And we're going to see a a glimpse of it. I think we may be here in this little passage, Lord willing, we may be here for two weeks, this week and next week. So we, we ask the question this week and we look over into it. And then I, I want that to, you know, ruminate a little bit. I want that to settle in with you a little bit and just start to ask yourself, what, what is it? Honestly, ask yourself that question. I started I was like, Lord, should I give them paper and ask them to write it down? Mm-mm. No, no, because I don't need to know what it is that you see. You need to know what it is that you see. You need to know how it is that you see the church. So here in the book of Acts, which we spent a lot of time in Acts uh, here recently, man, it was a lot of fun. And and the Lord brought this to my mind in thinking on, meditating on the church. In the book of Acts, Jesus has ascended to heaven and he's told him, he said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the spirit to move and you will receive power from on high and then you will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, and then in the uttermost parts of the earth. That you're going to proclaim the Messiah, that the Messiah has come and you're going to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins in his name, right? Making disciples, 
of all nations, the Great Commission, all the different spots. This is what Jesus said before he ascended to heaven. And then that began to play out. And we saw that as we were going through the book of Acts. We saw that begin to play out just as he said that it would. And the message of Christ begins to go forth. And as the message goes forth, guess what? People saw it different ways. Some saw it, Paul will even say, he's like, to some, we're, we're, we're a heavenly aroma. And to some, we're a stench. And they do not like the way that we smell. And so they saw it two different ways. People were accepting it and, and being saved. And people were rejecting it and becoming hostile. And in their rejection and in their hostility, they began to become violent. And it references here the persecution that arose and started because of Stephen. Stephen was stoned for the message of Jesus Christ. He was stoned for for, for living it, preaching it, refusing to back down off of it. He was stoned because of the message of Jesus Christ. And when that happened, the people who had been following Christ, because they had all been congregating there in Jerusalem because they had come from far and wide. This is where the message is being preached. This is where the church is being started. And then when he got stoned, they said, maybe if they're going to keep killing people around here, we should get out of town. We, we, we should go ahead, just, just go out and just, just let things die down a little bit. So what happened? The believers proliferated out into all of these areas. They made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. They, they began to, uh, to, to, to go out. They left Jerusalem, but they didn't leave the body of Christ. They left Jerusalem, but they didn't leave the church. They, they took that with them. It, this isn't just the first church of Jerusalem, and this is the only one there can be. The, 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 the church is the people, and then they gather together and commune as the saints of God. And some went to Antioch, and it said at first they were just hanging out and talking about Jesus with the Jews because those were the people who had a general understanding of that religion and what was going on, and he was the fulfillment of so much stuff uh, for them, and it just made sense, right? Church people are going to gravitate to church people first. And you kind of know, you kind of know, hey, yeah, you're a Christian. Yeah, we, we can hang out. We, we can visit back and forth. But then there were some that were Hellenistic Jews, which means they also spoke Greek, that they were Jews, but they grew up in Greek areas. So they spoke Greek. They started talking to the Greeks about Jesus. They started talking to the Greeks, the Gentiles, those that were far from God, those that didn't have any of this background other than maybe they lived in a city where there was a small Jewish uh, uh, synagogue there where they would teach and talk. That was their only experience. But they start to speak about Jesus with them. They had been avoided. Why? Because there was a language barrier. But this group's been Hellenized. They, they speak the same language. They speak Greek. And it says the Lord's hand was on them and many believed and turned to the Lord. Now, they could have looked at it and said, well, I'm a Hellenistic Jew. I'm kind of on the outside looking in. We know they did feel that way a little bit. They felt different. But see, sometimes you, you may see yourself as different and he's just got a gift in you that's going to do something that nobody else in your immediate area is going to get accomplished. He needed some people that spoke Greek. Why? Because a lot of these people spoke Greek. And so while they may have felt out of place, I think they started to see their purpose when they start sharing with the Greeks. The hand of the Lord is upon them. Which means he care, he's continuing to care for his church. And it said large numbers uh, began to turn to him and believe. And this started to, to, 
to create uh, a little bit of a buzz, right? It was like, this isn't just going on in Jerusalem. This is now going on in Antioch, in Syria, with Greeks. They're following Jesus. And so that word pretty quickly gets back to Jerusalem. Where a lot, a lot of the apostles are still there and, and they hear about this and they were interested and they wanted to both see about it and support it. And so they sent Barnabas. They sent Barnabas. They, they heard about, you know, news travels, good news travels, bad news travels. This was good news to them when it hit their ears. They wanted to confirm it. They send Barnabas who was known as the son of encouragement. That's why they called him that. Because in Jerusalem, they've been living this body of Christ life for a few years now. Some say as many as 10 years. They've been walking with the Lord. They've been living this out. And they know this group's just getting started. We want to help them where they are. And so they send Barnabas, verse 23. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the church. I love that. What do you see when you see the church? What did Barnabas see in Antioch? He saw the grace of God. When he saw them in Antioch, he saw the grace of of God. He saw the message of Jesus doing what Jesus said that it would do. It was changing people. It was changing uh, lives. It was changing families. And it was changing that community and changing that area. The other thing he said, going back to Jeremiah, when he said, what do you see? He said, I see a branch of an almond tree. He said, you've seen correctly. I'm watching over my word to perform it or accomplish it. And so we see what Jesus said is being carried out by the Holy Spirit in the church, in the body of Christ. And it's changing people. And Barnabas saw the grace and was glad. He was glad to see it. And he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. He said he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And again, we're going to come back to this latter part, I think, next week. So I wanted to have enough time here. But look at, look at what it says about Barnabas. Now, Barnabas was born on the Isle of Cyprus which isn't far from Antioch and would have been a whole lot more like Antioch than Jerusalem. And so I I think it blessed his heart to see Christ moving, the kingdom expanding, and the body of Christ growing in this Hellenistic setting, in this Greek setting. He's from Cyprus. His his real name was Joseph. It tells us that back in Acts chapter 4. It says his name was Joseph and he was from Cyprus, but they called him Barnabas, which meant the son of encouragement. I'm thinking when this dude came to Jesus, he, his, his light got lit. It's like, man, who's your dad? Encouragement? Is encouragement your dad? He's just awesome. And this is who they sent to see about Antioch. It said he was full, look, full of the Holy Spirit 
and of faith. How do you think he got that way? Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of faith. How do you think he got that away? Some of natural, right? Some things we come by naturally. Some of it gifts on the inside of us that the Lord redeems that begin to show up. But I have to believe that so much of it was from following Jesus and fellowshipping with the church in Jerusalem. Because it said the same thing about a lot of people who were walking with the church in Jerusalem. When they, needed, when they needed men to help serve the tables and make sure the widows were taken care of, they said, find us your, your men, you name them, who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. They weren't short on that. It comes from following Jesus and fellowshipping with the church. It said he saw the grace of God and he was glad. And he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. And large numbers were added to the faith. He saw the church alive, founded on and fueled by God's grace and the faith of those that were hearing. He saw lives changing, turned from destruction to life, brokenness to wholeness. And his advice to them, his encouragement to them was don't stop doing this. Don't stop being devoted to him. Remain true and devoted to him with pure hearts. And we're going to come back to that part next week as far as what what God did there. What he accomplished there. What he began there. But again, this week, how is it that we, that I, see the church? What is it that I see? See, And I've been thinking on this a lot. And sometimes when, I, when you talk about some of the things I'm about to talk about, and then I think that we'll get over into next week, you may think something has done happened. <laughs> Somebody has done upset Stephen. Somebody has done hurt his feelings. He is trying to speak over into. No, it's not any of that. So just I'm going to preface this with telling you that. But I've been doing a lot of thinking on this. Because we've been talking, we've been talking about it on Wednesday nights. Marty and I have sat out at the table out here several Sunday mornings just talking about it, the value of the church and our attitude towards the church. And me personally and what I see um, across the board as far as church and, and American culture. And there's some attitudes there that uh, if we don't, if we don't stay on the right track are going to get concerning. Right. And we can get into some of that. But I was thinking of this. Yet I was driving. I said, Lord, I really need a good way to, 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 to start to explain to a group of people what I'm thinking, which is not as easy as you would think. Have you ever had that? I'll have it all the time. I can get up here and preach a, you know, an hour long sermon. But if you ask me the next day to give you a 30 second synopsis of it, I'm going to be like, oh, well, mm, I was kind of like, what's well, more like this. And I'm like, that just sounded terrible. I remember doing that when I was young, a younger preacher and the pastor would, you know, are you going to share on this Sunday? Do you know what you're going to share yet? And I'd try to start communicating it just in about 30 or 45 seconds. And I could just tell it's not landing at all. Or I'll tell Kelly, I've, I've quit telling her what I'm preaching. She's quit asking. <laughs> she just done that. Cause what I started to say, what are you preaching about Sunday? Jesus. 
because I wasn't able to just again in a, in a short, it was kind of like this, kind of like this, but because I wasn't able to put, it wasn't all fit together yet. The Lord helped me. How can I, how can I explain this? And I saw it at two different, two different ways, two different ways that I think we, we can think about church. One that's not going to be helpful and one that I, I, I feel like is a, is a true way to, to view it. And, and both of them have to do with eating. And I see a difference between restaurant eating and eating at somebody's house. Okay. I feel like we're getting a lot further towards the restaurant eating attitude when it comes to the church. And I'm not talking about, I'm not just, I'm not saying this is us. I'm saying th- this is a problem that I think is extending out. In our, in our culture and how we see and how we view the church. What happens at a restaurant? I go in, I sit down, I want something from you and I'm going to give you something for it, right? It, it's transactional. And the waiter comes over and he acts like we're friends and we're not, right? I don't know you, but you're talking to me like you know me and that you really care about what I'm eating tonight. And we both know we're thinking about how much I'm going to tip you when we're done. But, but, but it's transactional. Whereas if you're eating at someone's house, it's much more relational. Because you can't avoid that when you're at someone's house, right? This is my house. This is where I live. This is where I'm the most uh, known. It's here inside the four walls of my house. Uh, again, in the restaurant side, the motives of the restaurant is, is what they're selling something they, they want to get as many people in there as possible as, as rapidly as possible. Why? So they can turn it over and do it again, turn it over and do it again. It's, it's a, it's a volume idea where eating at someone's house, you're going to spend more time there than you are in the restaurant. Aren't you restaurant? I'm going to be in there 30, 40 minutes. I'm out. I'm ready to go. I've gotten accomplished what I wanted to do and I've got that box checked and I'm moving on to something else. But when I'm sitting around the table with whether it's family or friends, uh, even people that I've, that I've just met when I'm spending time with them, th- th- there's a whole lot more. Well, tell me about that. You know, th- there's more freedom for relationship there. Again, restaurant, I came to your business, I'm paying for your food, I'm going to eat and leave. It's transactional and each side is self-concerned. The restaurant's concerned with itself and the patron is concerned with his or herself, right? You know, I don't, I just, when I am the patron at a restaurant, I'm most worried about is my food good? Is it the right temperature? Is it what I ordered? Did you get it to me on time? I'm, so, so there's a lot more critical there for me. Why? I'm, I'm paying for it. I'm the customer, right? So, so I'm looking at it with a critical eye of, is this everything I need it to be? Is this everything that I want it to be? Each side is more self-concerned and I'm much more critical of what I'm being served because that's what I came for, right? And so you may, you may tell the server that, hey, is everything all right? Well, the chicken's a little chewy, and my steak wasn't really cooked like I wanted it, right? You're going to say that at a restaurant. Would you say that at somebody's house? Generally, no. Some people have. <laughs> I don't recommend it. 
But you're generally not going to do that. Why? Because you are a welcome guest at someone's table. And it's a completely different attitude when I come to your home. I'm much more open because I've been invited. And each side there, the person who invited the person to come over and the person who's come, they're usually much more concerned with the other. Well, hey, do you have everything that you need? Is everything, you know, everything? And you're more concerned with making sure they know how much you appreciate it. This is great. This is awesome. I truly thank you so much for having me. You see the difference. You see just the two very similar things, but two very different attitudes. The restaurant. If I don't go to the restaurant today, they're not even going to notice. Right? It makes zero impact at all. It's like, I don't want to go, so I'm not going to go. I'm not feeling like going, and so I'm not going to go. And they don't, they don't like, oh, it's you know, 11.30. I ain't seen Stephen yet. Where's he at? They don't think that. But if Matthew stops coming to Thanksgiving dinner, everybody's going to notice. Right? Why? Because this is, this is relational. It's not just an expectation that you be here. There's a connection where you're joining together. And if he just disappears off the face of the earth, we're going to go looking for him. Again, the restaurant, if they call you, that's the old, there's an old joke by a comedian, you know, where they call the family's name and they don't come. And so they just call the one behind them. And the guy's like, shouldn't we be looking for them? I wonder what happened to them. <laughs> what happened to their party? You know, no, we just move on to the next. We move on to the next one. And when we think about the church, what is it that we think about? And I know these ideas aren't, aren't, aren't fully form, but I'm hoping that it gives you something to start thinking on because this, I'm starting to see this, that through good intentions and wanting to get a lot of people into church so that they can hear the message of Jesus Christ. We started to cater to the things that they want and that they like. We want you to come in here and we want you to come to our restaurant because we've got the bigger TVs and we've got the, a better wait staff and we've got flashy menus and you can pay on your phone and you've we got all these different things to make it fun for you and we want to draw you in with that so you hear the message. Praise God, hear the message. But one thing that started to be figured out and it showed up in statistics and it showed up in studies, even churches that went the full-blown attractional model for years, they started to see we're getting people in and they're hearing the message, but one thing that we wanted to happen isn't happening. They're not changing. And people were admitting that themselves. They're like, when I started, I was here. And now this many years later, I'm still coming. I love it because hey, they got, they got a great coffee bar and they have cartoon characters in the back. And this is awesome. But I'm not changing. Why? Because their attitude towards the church wasn't right. It was, I'm coming. This is for me. It's not for us. It's not for us. Not that we, we don't make room for people to come and we don't want to make things come when we turn the air on. Amen. Number one. I mean, we want to make things comfortable, but when we focus too much on what, what it is that I want and what it is that I'm looking for, then it's, well, I think I, I think I want to go over there because they have a better Royal Rangers program than this one does. And they have this and I, I become a, I, I become a customer instead of a member of the body of Christ. And again, I'm not, 
I haven't had any bad conversations with anybody. I haven't had any, but I'm seeing this as an attitude issue and I know where it can go. And so that's why I'm asking you, just review in your own heart and in your own mind, how is it that I'm viewing the church? Is it a religious production that I go and watch every week? Or is it a family that I'm welcomed in and, and a part of? Because so much of it is turning into, it's a religious production that I just go and, and listen, I, no, I, mm, I will say this. I will say this because I said this out loud Wednesday night. I said, you know, it's all I can do to not take all the chairs out of here and put one big long table down the middle. <laughs> because that's what I want it to feel like. I don't, I'm, I'm starting to like this less and less where everybody just sits and everybody faces me. I want you to know that the rest of you are here. That I want you to hear the message when I share it, but I want you to hear it as, as the body. And I told Kimberly, I said, when we have guys night, again, we're not going to sit at different tables. We're going to learn a lesson from the ladies and we're going to get one big long table and we're going to sit together. Why? Because we're here together and we're a family. We're not, I don't want it to feel like we're sitting at a restaurant. You know how weird it is when you see people you know at a restaurant? Let me tell you what I mean. You're like, this is different. I know it's different today. It's different today. If Kelly knows that I'm going out to lunch with somebody and she's going out to lunch with somebody different, you know what she's going to ask me? Where are y'all going? Why are you asking where we're going? Because I don't want to be where you're going. And the reason she feels that way, she's like, it's just weird. Like you're my husband and you're right over there at that table with those people talking to them. I'm over here talking to these people and it's just weird. Like I come in and you're there and I'm, we're like, ha, ah, but like it's weird. Right? But it's not weird when you have people over to your house. Right? You just see the difference there between those two environments. And I know it's, I know it's a weird example, but that's just what the Lord gave me. So hopefully it lands with you like it's landed with me. Because I'm starting to like, I could carry that a long way. I don't want it to feel like we're at a restaurant together where you're like, all right, you're done, so you're out, and then you know, you're still eating, so you're you're lingering a little bit longer. It, like it's a family. It's a family. That's what he has brought us together into, welcomed us together as a family, a part of his body. And that table, that family meal, I started to see it like that more and more. That's the way that I want to see it. And that's the way that I want to live it. Because that's the, when you want to talk about models, that's the model where people actually do change. The attractional one where we have the best restaurant in town, people can come and they can be entertained, but they generally, by and large, won't change. Because they don't see a need to change. But when you join together as a family at the table, and we'll get into some of this next week, it trains us to be something. We are training to be something. What are we training to be? That's what we're going to talk about next week. Lord willing. He can change it if he wants. But how is it that you see the church? Because it matters. It matters for you. So much. More than how anybody else sees it. It matters how you see it. How do you see the church? 
And are you seeing it rightly? Where's that coming from? Are you getting that from scripture? Are you getting it from, where's it coming from? Just ask yourself, ask yourself that. And as we dig deeper into this and weird, quick transition, because I went a little bit longer than I meant to. Um, I want us to take communion together today. So Matthew, will you grab the plate and serve out real quick? Um, I think it's a great time as we're talking about that. And by the way, this is normally over here. We, we may not take communion every service. It is available if you want to as a part of your worship to the Lord. Uh, take communion in the service. Please feel free to do that. Uh, we've got several that do. You'll see them come and go from over there. You're free to do that uh, during worship. But it's, it's so uh, good when we take it together. Because what is it but Christ inviting us to his table? Amen. It's him inviting us to his table. Now, there may be a question. I know he's serving. You know, sometimes people ask, well, who can partake? Any believers are welcome at the table. Always. Any believers are welcome at the table. If you're not a believer, you just let it pass and then come talk to me because that believership is open to you. But any believers who are willing, you're not compelled. If you've got some type of conviction about that, some people have. Um, but, but, we, but we partake together because he's invited us to his table. And some, there's a lot. Hey, let me grab. Hey, hey. Thank you. There's a lot of discussion about how, how Christ is present with us in the sacraments. How, how is he present with us at the table? I don't. All I care about is that he is. And he said that he is. Amen. He said the last Passover supper with his disciples, he took some bread and he said, this is my body that is given for you. And he took the cup and he told them, this is take it and drink. He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Paul would tell us that as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you are proclaiming the dying of the Lord Jesus until he returns. It started at a table. And it ends at a table, the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's invited us to be a part and he always welcomes us there. This is truth that we can touch. Again, it's not magic. Not at all. These are basic elements. But it's powerful in what? Your observation of it. Your participation in the table supper that began at Passover in Jerusalem in that upper room so many years ago. Because he said, this is my body which is given for you. I read to you out of Philippians chapter uh, 2 last week. 
that he emptied himself and put on flesh like we wear. Because the children shared in flesh and blood, Hebrew says, he also shared in flesh and blood so that he could, through that body of flesh, destroy the one who held the power of death, that is the devil, to free those who were all their life held captive to the fear of it. He gave himself for us to set us free and he shed his blood so that we might have the forgiveness of sins. Father, as we approach your table today, thank you first and foremost for inviting us to join you. Thank you that you prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies, as scripture said. And I thank you that as we hold the bread, we remember the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came incarnate to be like us so that we could be like him. And he sacrificially gave himself for us, endured unimaginable pain so that we could enjoy your pleasures forevermore. Thank you for the body that was given for us as we partake of the bread together in Jesus' name. Father, as he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant, that there was something shifting because of what he was about to do, because the sacrificial system couldn't cleanse our consciousness. But without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. He said, this is my blood that pays for the new covenant that I'm making. It's the one that he said the message is going to go around the world. I thank you that by the shedding of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have the forgiveness of our sins, the removal of our shame. In our hand, we, we hold the symbol of our justification, that it is by his blood and faith in the grace that caused it to be spilled. And through nothing of our own, nothing we could do to bring it about by grace alone, through faith alone. And I thank you, Lord, for the cup that you've given us to drink that saves us and preserves us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we partake of the cup together. Father, we thank you. Lord, as we get ready to go, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you take the poverty of my remarks and, and clarify them for each heart as, as they have need. And Lord, that we would consider, set aside time for us this week to meditate on what we think about when we think about the church and that we want to think about your church rightly, that it's about you and not us. Lord, and it's at that table, the table you've invited us to with the family that you've created, that we find great value that we find rest for our souls, we find strength in times of need and struggle, and we find peace that passes all understanding. I thank you that there you train us to righteousness and godliness. And I thank you, Lord, that you continue to watch over your word to perform it. And what you began is continuing to go around the world, including right here where we are. 
and that we're changing because of it. And others will be changed because of what you've done through us as we continue to be your vessels, your lights, and your salt in the earth. Lord, as we get ready to go, I thank you that we leave in peace and unity with one another. We pray for those that are traveling, those that are finishing up these vacations. I thank you, Lord, that you guide them into safety. Lord, that no accident or incident will come across their path. And I thank you, you'll bless them and refresh them as they return. Or those that are working would do so as unto your glory to honor you and not a man. And I thank you that you bless them in their uh, endeavors. And Lord, any of those that are weak in their body today, I thank you that you heal them, strengthen them, and return them to us in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we go into this week, that we do so with you in mind, acknowledging you, being aware of you, and all that you are to us. Worthy is your name. And we love you. Jesus' name.